everyone. Welcome back to the online ministry of Grace Baptist Church. Now, if you've been with us through the summer, we've been in a series called How Jacob Became Israel. And we've been seeing how God works to change us and to bless us in ways we might not expect. When we're meeting in person, we always love to connect with people. We love to connect with guests and visitors. Uh, so if you're new, drop us a line in the comments below and let us know that you're here. Now, I wonder what you think about the story that was told by John Yates. There was a, a shipwreck and the only survivor was washed up on the proverbial deserted island. And he cried out to God to save him. Every day, he scanned the horizon looking for help. But help just never seemed to come. With great effort, he managed to build a rough hut for himself. And he put the few things that he had managed to salvage from the ship inside the hut. And he was grateful for a bit of refuge. But one day, as he returned from his afternoon hunt for food, he was horrified to see his, his hut up in flames and a thick cloud of smoke going up. And his last few possessions were burned before his eyes. And he would go to sleep that night without cover, without protection. He tried to pray, but he couldn't find much comfort in his prayers. Everything was gone and all hope for rescue seemed lost. But early the next morning, a ship drew near to the island and he was rescued. When he asked the crew how they knew he was there, they answered, well, we saw your smoke signal. Yates ends his story with the words, maybe the difficulty you have now is a smoke signal that will lead to great blessing. Now, I wonder how you feel about that story. Is that how God works? Is this just one of those fairy tales that we tell each other so that we can feel less miserable even though the ship's never coming? Personally, I'm always a little suspicious of any story that suggests that life is neat and God's rescue ship is always around the next corner. But it does make me think, it makes me think about God, about tragedy, about blessing makes me wonder whether there might be more to the seemingly unfair circumstances we often find ourselves in. makes me wonder whether there might be more to God's working in my life than I can often see. And it makes me wonder about how God actually blesses people when that blessing doesn't seem to unfold according to our timetable or our expectations. Now, I believe today's passage deals with all of those questions. And so I'd encourage you to grab a Bible and turn with me to Genesis chapter 30, uh, verse 25. Hey, if you have the Bible open in front of you, it'll be much easier for you to follow along as we not only read through it, but then as I talk you through it. I'm going to start by reading from Genesis chapter 30, verses 25 to 30. As soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go to my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you, that I may go for you know the service that I've given you. But Laban said to him, if I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages and I will give it. Jacob said to him, you yourself know how I have served you and how your livestock has fared with me. For you had little before I came and it has increased abundantly. 
and the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now, when shall I provide for my own household also? This is the word of God. Now, if there was ever a man who had had enough of his in-laws, it was Jacob. He's totally fed up and he can't hide it any longer. Laban's tricked him into working 14 long years for two wives, but he still hasn't been able to leave until Rachel has given birth to a son. That's because in the ancient Near East, a wife who failed to give birth to an heir would often be abandoned. And so Jacob was prevented from leaving until now. But verse 25 says, as soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, send me away. He's like one of those dinner guests who's already putting their shoes on as you're getting ready to bring dessert. He's not afraid to show his eagerness to leave. And you can see that he's tired of being treated like a freeloading servant. In verse 25, he says that he wants to go to his own home and country. And in the next verse, he says, give me my wives and my children. But Laban isn't so eager to let go of his prized worker. He tells Jacob to name his wages. And he actually says in verse 27, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. As he says those words, I think Jacob can't believe what he's hearing. A couple of verses later, he says, you yourself know how I have served you. He's like, don't tell me you had to commission some kind of report or hire a fortune teller to tell you how you'd managed to become so rich. Surely you saw what happened. In verse 30, Jacob says, you had little before I came and it is increased abundantly. The Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. You were dirt poor before I showed up and now you're ordering BMWs. Surely you could put two and two together by yourself. But it isn't just that Laban's cheated him and has now been slow to acknowledge how much Jacob has done for him. His real frustration is that he's in his second decade of marriage with 11 children and two wives to feed, and his bank account is still empty without an asset to his name. He asks in verse 30, when shall I provide for my own household also? Have you ever felt like that? It feels like you're not getting anywhere. You're not respected or acknowledged. You're making an investment, but not seeing any of the proceeds. And if you're in that position, you start asking questions of God. You wonder whether God cares. You question whether God sees what's going on. You start to ask whether God is really still there or if he's abandoned you. And you doubt whether he really has a blessing for you. Now follow along as I, as I, I read and we see what happens in verses 31 to 36. He said, what shall I give you? Jacob said, you shall not give me anything. If you will do this for me, I will again pasture your flock and keep it. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb and the spotted and speckled among the goats and they shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later when you come to look into my wages with you. 
Everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, should be counted stolen. Laban said, Good, let it be as you said. But that day Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one that had white on it and every lamb that was black, and put them in the charge of his sons. And he set a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and, be and Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock. Now, a decade and a half of hard service to a lying, cheating man like Laban will change you. And Jacob's learned a few things along the way. He's learned that Laban's gifts often come with strings attached. When Laban asks in verse 31, what shall I give you? Jacob stops him in his tracks. You're not going to give me anything. <laughs> Any arrangement that's set up to make it look like Jacob owes Laban somehow is going to result in him getting locked in and never being able to leave. So Jacob rejects any idea of a gift. And he, and he instead suggests a naively generous offer. The typical wages owed to a shepherd were about 20% of the flock that he oversaw, along with a portion of the milk and the wool that came from them. But instead of asking for a percentage like that, Jacob suggests as his wages only the most unusually colored sheep and goats. Now, sheep are typically white, so Jacob asks that he only keep the ones that are black or have black spots. Goats are typically black, so Jacob only asks that he be given the ones that have white on them. It's a surprising gesture from Jacob, because he's the one who's been always striving to get more ever since he was born. In verse 34, it's only natural that Laban is, is quick to accept. He knows a good deal when he hears it, and he jumps on it. And at this point, we're thinking, everyone will live happily ever after. But Laban won't just settle for an incredibly generous deal. No sooner has he signed the contract than he goes through and removes all the goats with white markings and all of the sheep with black markings. And at first we think, surely he's just gathering Jacob's wages for him. But then he puts this part of the flock in charge of his sons. And in verse 36, he has them travel three days away so that Jacob can't see them. Jacob is left with a, with a flock of pure white sheep and pure black goats with no wages and very little hope of ever seeing any. He's feeling the pain of loss, the shame of having nothing to offer his family. Meanwhile, Laban and his sons are barbecuing black sheep and white goats every night in the next county while Jacob looks after their flock for them. Have you ever been in that situation? You think, I'm generous. Surely people will be fair to me. We treat others the way we want them to treat us. And we expect that they will. Only sometimes they don't. And that doesn't seem very fair. We wonder where God is. Why doesn't he seem to do anything? Why doesn't it seem, why does it seem as if he doesn't care? What does God's blessing matter if greedy people cheat us out of that blessing? And we start doubting ourselves as well. 
I must have done something wrong. God must be punishing me for something. But you learn here that you can do everything right and still find yourself mistreated at the hands of sinful people. Our generosity doesn't ensure other people's fairness. Now, when you start asking those questions, you really need to be careful about what you do next. Jacob went back to his old ways. He told himself, cheaters need to be cheated. You've got to beat people at their own game. You hit me, I'll hit you back twice as hard. Listen to what happens as I read from verses 37 to 43. Then Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees and peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks. He set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks and the troughs, that is, the watering places where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks, and so the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. And Jacob separated the lambs and set the faces of the flocks toward the striped and all the black in the flock of Laban. He put his own droves apart and did not put them with Laban's flock. Whenever the stronger the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in the trough before the eyes of the flock that they might breed among the sticks. But for the feebler of the flock, he would not lay them there. So the feebler would be Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Thus, the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants, male servants, and camels and donkeys. Now, Jacob is an almost deserted island desperation about him now. And he resorts to an almost ridiculous plan. He convinces himself that whenever the sheep and the goats, whatever they see while they are mating, will determine the coloring of their offspring. So he carefully cuts down branches from several varieties of trees with dark branches. And then he peels off the bark in strips and patches to make them resembling the cover of color of the sheep and goats that he's hoping to produce. It's a bizarre plan that would have no effect whatsoever on the breeding process. And yet I can't help but picture all of the extra work that it creates for Jacob. He's probably sneaking around as he's cutting down the branches. He's probably feeling guilty as he sets up the sticks around the feeding troughs. What are you up to, Jacob? Oh, just thought I'd set up some decorations, you know. It's always nice to give the sheep a little variety in their surroundings. And he doesn't just set them up and leave them. When the weak animals are breeding, he takes them down. When the strong animals come together, he has to have them ready. So this is an elaborate operation. Sticks are going in and they're coming out and they're being replaced as, as they get broken or worn out. And it's got to take its toll on Jacob's mental energy, his physical resources. It wears on his conscience as well. This is what always happens when we take things into our own hands. And the thing is, sometimes we'll come to the conclusion that it works. That's what you would have thought with Jacob, right? Verse 39 says, And so the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. And in verse 43, it says of him, Thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks. Jacob's stupid plan seems to have worked. 
If this would have happened today, I think publishers would have sought him out for a book deal to explain his secrets of negotiation and breeding. He would have been in demand on the talk show circuit to explain his success. But the fact is that often people have no idea why they've been successful. Like Jacob, there's usually a lot of hard work behind the success. But often there's a combination of wise values and decisions and really foolish ones as well. And the person themselves doesn't know which is which. With Jacob, God couldn't afford for him to be ignorant of what really caused his success. Despite all of his branch carving shenanigans, he wasn't responsible for his success at all. We know that because in the next chapter, it tells us. In chapter 31, verse 11, we learn that God had appeared to Jacob. And in the following verse, it reads, And he said, Lift up your eyes and see, all the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. God had seen after all. When it seemed like God didn't notice and God didn't care, God had not only carefully observed everything that was happening, but he was already orchestrating a plan to judge Laban for his cruelty and bless Jacob as he had promised. And in fact, even the obstacles were a part of God's plan to bless Jacob. Because if Jacob had left on his timetable, he would have returned home penniless and endangered his family in the process. Laban's greed and urging Jacob to stay was all part of God's purpose, to judge Laban and to bless Jacob. And yet at the time, it could only have felt like a delay. Even Laban's stealing from the flock what should have been Jacob's wages. Although at the time it seemed like a cruel act that had gone unnoticed by God, it was actually used by God to prove to Jacob that he could bless him in even the most impossible situations. God had been with him through every detour and setback after all. And God was slowly purifying Jacob's character. He did that through painful circumstances. And he did that through the cheating ways of a man who put a mirror to the areas in Jacob's own life where he most needed to change. In the end, it was clear that God was responsible for all of the blessings in Jacob's life. None of Jacob's schemes or tricks helped God out. And when things had seemed most desperate, when it appeared that God must have been on a holiday, that was right when God was actually doing his greatest work to bless him. It was the same at the cross. Right when it seemed as if injustice had reached its limit, when it seemed as if God had probably just abandoned this world and checked out, it was there through the death of Jesus Christ for our sins that God carried out his greatest plan to bless us. And it's at the cross, as we confess our sin and our need of a Savior, that we enter into God's blessing. It says at the cross, as we turn to Jesus in faith, that we begin to walk in God's plan of blessing like Jacob did, instead of continuing in God's plan of judgment that Laban experienced. When you put your faith in Jesus, you can know that God never leaves you and is committed to your blessing. 
Now, I don't think that that means that every hut that burns down in our lives is a smoke signal to bring in God's rescue ship. God's ways aren't that neat or predictable. And getting off the island isn't always the point. But it does mean that God has a good purpose for us, even in the burned hut tragedies of our lives. Even when evil people like Laban seem for a while at least to get away with terrible injustice. God is responsible for all of the blessing in our lives. Do you believe that? I feel as if God has spent a big part of my life trying to convince me of this truth. And I've been slow in accepting it. Many of the lessons have come through my own failed plans that I pursued with overconfidence in myself or without dependence on God. And afterwards, I'll look back on things that I've done to try and rig God's blessings in my favor, only to realize they weren't much better than Jacob's carved sticks at the feeding trough. Along the way, I've learned from Scripture that a strong conviction about that it's God, not us, that is ultimately responsible for all the blessing in our lives, it changes us. And I want to just share with you some of the, some of the ways that God does that as we close. If, for instance, you believe that God is responsible for your blessings, you're probably not going to brag about them, right? So Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? See, pride is one of the easiest ways to see who you think is responsible for the blessing in your life. If you think that God is responsible for your blessings, you'll also rely on him instead of just on your own talents and activity. 2 Corinthians 3, 5, and 6 says this, Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers. If you believe that God is responsible for your blessings, it'll change you. It'll make it easier for you to accept your losses, right? Like John the Baptist, who was hit with a demotion and a sudden downturn in his popularity and influence. But he's the one who said in John 3.27, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. Changes you. Changes how you see this world. If you believe that God is responsible for your blessings, you'll give generously as well. It'll, it'll change how you see your, your possessions. It won't be all about you and what you've earned and what you deserve anymore. Instead, there'll be a generosity. Like David modeled in 1 Corinthians 29, 14. There he says, But who am I and what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you and of your own have we given you? He knew that God was responsible for the blessing in his life. But most of all, if you believe that God is responsible for your blessings, you'll have an awe and a wonder toward God. Because more than anything, that's why he blesses sinful people like Jacob and like you and like me. 
Ecclesiastes 3.14 says, Whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. God is at work in your life to stir your wonder and amazement at him. And so Jacob's story isn't about Jacob. And Jacob's success certainly isn't about his ridiculous sticks. His story is the story of God's incredible grace and blessing. And that's a story that God wants for all of our lives as well. So let's stop patting ourselves on the back for our clever tricks, schemes, and ideas. And let's look by faith to the one who alone is worthy of our praise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to trust in those moments when we can't see, when we don't know what's going on and we can't see how you're blessing us. Help us to trust that you are. You showed that at the cross when Jesus died for our sins. It seemed like Satan had won. It seemed that injustice had prevailed. And yet it was there that you secured our salvation. Help us to look to you in every circumstance of our lives and recognize you alone are the one who brings blessing. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I hope that today's message has helped you to see some of the circumstances of your life with hope and confidence in a God of blessing who never leaves our side. But if it's left you with questions or more confusion, then send me an email or leave a comment below. And if there's someone who would be encouraged by this message, pass it on and be a channel of God's hope in their life. And as always, for more messages of hope, visit www.gracebc.ca. God bless and see you next time.